0: Welcome to the Tech Cat Show with host Lori H. Schwartz. Each week we hear from established leaders in the technology and consumer industry. Finding out the scoop should never be this much fun. Now, here is your host, Lori H. Schwartz. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Tech Cat Show. And
1: I'm calling this actually my first official show of 2019 since the last show was really focused on the Consumer Electronics Show, and so I'm so excited to be able to interview somebody who's sort of sitting at the center of the swirl of uh, technology trends right now. And so we have the pleasure today of talking to a true cross-platform content creator, and that is GNOME Dromi. Let's have a big Tech Cat welcome for GNOME. <laughs> Noam, I'm. I'm sure you didn't realize there was a studio audience, but um,
2: I love it. They're, hey, Laura, They're very,
1: they're very, very active. So, um, Noam is a colleague of mine on the um, on the uh, Television Academy's uh, Executive Committee for Interactive Media, and I've just learned all about some of the great things that he's doing. Um, he's president at Legion of Creatives, which is a really cool creative incubator and digital studio that works with or at least targets cord-cutting millennials and underserved audiences. Gnome has written um, all sorts of uh, feature films and created all sorts of content, has won an Emmy for a VR project. Um, Just really, you have your hands on a lot of really interesting things. Um, So I'd love to hear from you, you know, how you you got to where you are. Tell us a little bit about your background.
2: Sure. I First of all, it's so great to be on the show with you and uh, excited to talk a little bit about some of the things that I am particularly excited by. Um, so, you know, it's one of those funny stories and all sort of quickly highlighted. Um, I'm originally from Israel, and, uh, you know, when my family came out here, it's not like we knew anyone in the media or entertainment space, but from a very early age, it's something that I um, particularly took a liking to, really to the extent that during high school, I would actually ditch classes to go uh, sneak on the movie sets and work there and managed to get away with that uh, at a time when, you know, no one really thought to verify that with my parents. Um, but uh, got myself into a little bit of trouble uh, when I, I did get caught, but certainly was just really focused on, you know, the exciting world of how stories could get translated into mass mediums. And uh, you know, over the course of my professional and creative career, I've been a playwright, I've worked in television, I've worked in feature films, and then really in the late 90s, early 2000s, under the um, tutelage and guidance of Peter Guber, who had been the chairman and CEO of Sony Pictures and then uh, started his his own company called Mandalay, um, started at 22 as the director of digital media for his company, where I stayed for five years until I was the senior vice president there. And it was so incredible to have the mentorship of someone who really was focused on how storytelling would continue to evolve. So whether it's the you know Marshall McLuhan quote that I'm going to bastardize, it's not the medium, it's the message. Um, but the reality of it is, DNA is uh, uh, storytelling is in our DNA. Uh, cave paintings are storytelling. Shamans around the campfire are storytelling. And I really have tried to focus my career on understanding these new modalities and these new platforms and how are they going to be relevant. Um, that has included, obviously, the you know the big shiny buzzwords like transmedia, VR, AR, um, things of that nature. But I'm also just really focused, and this is in my work now also as a professor in the graduate film program at Loyola Marymount University in Playa Vista, um, what are what are the new ways and new experiences that consumers and are going to look for that storytellers should develop for, and have really tried to make that a focus of the work that I do at this point.
1: Um, God, there's so much to talk about just in what you said, um, and of course the other day when Noam and I were in a meeting, we discovered that we're both teaching at um, LMU, which is hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> but that but that's a whole that's a whole another conversation and also your your work with Peter Goober is so interesting. So how how do you when a project comes to you um, how do you guys determine what you're going to do with it? You know, are your clients coming to you and saying, "We want a VR project. We want a broadcast pro-
2: a broadband project. We sure. want a
1: game. We want yeah. this." Like how how does it sort through?
2: Sure, no. It, look, it's a great question and, and I'll answer that. Um, in this respect, uh, you know, the starting point with stories, uh, you know, as I was saying before with that quote is that stories are platform agnostic, whether you're out with a friend and telling someone a great story or you're seeking it out on television or on a streaming platform or going to a location based experience, you just want something that you can really be taken in by, um, and, and be immersed in whatever that means, um, So the entry point is always, well, what really is the best way to tell this story? Now, to answer your question specifically, it goes without saying that, yes, every time there's some cool new buzz thing, someone will come, we want a VR thing. Okay, well, what does that really mean? And oftentimes, one of the unique challenges that people like you and I and and the facet of the industry that we find ourselves in is that there's not consensus on what these terms mean. Uh, Innovative, immersive. Uh, you know, uh, interactive. And what we're ultimately really trying to do is just get, get down to the brass tacks, which is what are the really exciting and innovative ways to tell stories? Now, I've been in the VR space for a while as a content creator and a producer, less so on the, you know, tech, technical side. Um, but we've done, uh, uh, you know... Uh, auxiliary content, sort of added value content for existing intellectual property. We've created standalone experiences as well. But it really is always coming down to, you know, these unique mediums and formats. What's going to be the best way to reach the biggest audience that's going to have the greatest impact? Um, and, And that is evolving constantly. I think that some people are really starting to determine... You know, the factors that matter in any kind of creative endeavor, which is what's your budget, what's your reach, and really how is the most impactful way to reach this message. When it comes to VR, you know, we've often heard those of us who work in and around this business the notion of uh, VR being an empathy generator, that there's no other mass medium that can literally uh, emulate the experience of walking in someone else's shoes. So things that are meant to be particularly impactful, that maybe have a, a you know a pro-social kind of message to them, helping people understand at a very caustic time in our political and social dialogue, well, what if you could see that perspective through someone else's eyes? So that's really cool for that. But then, you know, young people are on their phone literally every moment, every waking moment of every day. So then the question becomes, what are cool experiences there? And you and I on on one of our TV Academy things have really been talking about chat fiction. Like, uh, Lori, believe it or not, 1.8 billion text messages are sent every single day.
1: Totally believe uh, it. I think I send most of them.
2: (laughs) It's a platform and a framework that people are so accustomed to. But no one has used it as a proscenium to design narrative around. Of course, now they have. And some of the most exciting content that I'm seeing is in what is referred to as the chat fiction space, both as an analog, sort of, not an analog, more of a passive experience, and others that are gamified. So the literally entire mobile games are built around, you're now in possession of a character's phone, and you've got to uncover a mystery and interact with it in a way. These are just cool times, and our clients trust that we are going to expose them to accessible mediums, to new mediums, and to innovative and unique ways to tell their story.
1: Well, how how are you guys as a company keeping up with all of this? Are you each charged with just paying attention? Do you have someone who is on the lookout? You know, like, is there a Operationalized process for you to determine what is a new tech and trend.
2: Sure. Uh, so my my honest answer is going to be that in some respects it's creative chaos. So you know I am a lifelong learner. Uh, and really try to stay abreast of all the trends. Myself, honestly, and I'm sure you can relate since we're fellow professors, one of the greatest benefits of teaching is just understanding what, you know, young people that millennial and Gen Z cohort are focused on and spending their time doing. Uh, And then certainly, you know, we employ people uh, within the organization who obviously I make it their responsibility to really be our trend forecasters and keep us abreast of some of the things that are going on. But I think, look, in general, for those of us who sort of are a little, you know, our version of inside baseball, we see the trends. We see what's going on in AR, VR, MR, XR, whatever your, you know, your uh, acronym jargon of choice is. We see what's happening in eSports. We see what's happening in all of these spaces that are going to become fundamental opportunities for storytellers and content creators, games, you know, it was always the joke. The movie business is obviously an exciting and, and can be a profitable business, but it's a fraction of what the video game industry is doing. And that's storytelling also. Um, so the bit, the best answer to the question is, we're sort of, you know, we're constantly intellectually curious. We're, we're constantly trying to figure out what is, um, you know, exciting and, and likely to succeed, not as a one-off or a or just kind of a random apparition, but something that will work long-term. And I'll be honest, sometimes we get it wrong. Um, But at the end of the day, I think that, you know, people understand that we're storytellers and that there's more than one platform, medium, or way to tell a story.
1: Uh, that's fantastic and a great, uh, great way to end uh, the first uh, part of the show. And we're going to come back with Noam Dromi and talk more about some of the work he's actually doing. Maybe get into some project work um, and and some of the challenges and exciting things about working in all of these um, different uh, platforms. So we'll be back in a moment on the Tech Cat Show with Mr. Cross Platform Content Creator himself, <laughs> Noam Dromi. <laughs>
0: From strategy to execution, the answer is StoryTech. Inform. Innovate. Create. Visit us at story-tech.com. That's story-tech.com.
3: If you currently or aspire to serve on a board or work in a leadership capacity for or with a public or nonprofit organization...
0: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN.
3: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
0: This is the Tech Cat Show with Lori H. Schwartz. If you want to find out more about our show or to leave a comment or question, send an email to lori at techcat.tv. That's lori at techcat.tv.
1: And we are back with the fabulous Nome Drami, who is a cross-platform content creator expert, um, president of Legion of Creatives, and an Emmy winner as well. Um, and Gnome won a uh, 2015 Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Creative Achievement in Interactive Media for a Fox Broadcasting um, project um, on, uh, for Sleepy Hollow. It was a Sleepy Hollow virtual reality experience. And I was actually, uh, you know, full disclosure, running awards that year. Um, so I was um, just involved. Oh, thank you. <laughs> casually. <laughs> I know we didn't know each other. We just met this year, but, um, but tell yeah. us about that project. What, what was that like, um, you know, sure. getting that made? Cause it really was one of the first um, VR projects tied to a broadcast television show.
2: Absolutely. Um, And look, it, it's so funny. And I said this to you when we were chatting the other day, it's so like, I look at that now in 2019 and sort of cringe in terms of, you know, what, what we're capable of today that maybe we really weren't then. Um, and, you know, that was a perfect example of just the value of relationships and unexpected surprises in our business. So um, I uh, I teach every year at a program that the Toronto uh, Film Institute um, uh, has implemented in conjunction with TIFF that is just basically uh, think of it as sort of their AFI and it's up in Toronto. And one year, because of my work on uh, dolphin tail a film that I co-wrote for Warner brothers, uh, I was up there for the, you know, kids and family programming and met uh, a gentleman by the name of James Millward. Uh, I moderated a panel that he was on and we started chatting. Uh, he was a principal at a company called secret location. That was a creative marketing and technology services uh, company. And then down here, because a lot of the work that I do as a consultant is advising networks, studios, record labels, celebrities, producers, on just how to utilize, you know, technology in very creative ways for the marketing and and content distribution of their stuff. Anyway, long story short, um, I was working with Fox. uh, uh, One of the partners in my company was one of the actors on it. Another partner was the president of the company that made the film. And we just started talking about really... uh, important ways to keep the audience engaged when you have a 13-episode season, and then there's nine months of downtime where an audience is hungering for more content, but what do you do? And we started talking about VR and the opportunity to create sort of a mini-episode therein, which is put you in the world of Sleepy Hollow, have you interact with Ichabod Crane, have you do battle with the Headless Horseman. Um, Of course, what we wanted to try and do, though, which really was somewhat unique at the time, was marry uh, computer-generated backgrounds with live performances. Not motion capture, but literally put an actor on a green screen, have a whole narrative, and then build a world around that, which really hadn't been done. It wasn't done with The Martian. It wasn't done with some of the particularly innovative things that were being done in VR at that point. Uh, And then just trying to figure out the right way. uh, It's such a perfect medium for jump scares and horror. Um, and and figuring out a way where it contextually tied into the fandom for Sleepy Hollow. It world premiered in a really exciting activation at Comic-Con in 2014. Uh, And then obviously, you know, the challenges with VR. How do you bring it to market? How do, you know, the Oculus at the time was not in many households. The Gear VR was still sort of, you know, in its final stages of uh, coming out in the marketplace. And that was a perfect example. I do a great show something that we were so blessed and fortunate to, you know, get that industry recognition for, but still something that demonstrates how far that platform and that type of content has to go before any household can watch it the way they can just turn on their TV and watch Netflix.
1: Well, so cool. I mean, that that is actually a discussion we frequently have, too, when you're determining eligibility for any award program is – you know where does this fit into the scope of things, right? Um, is is that a question that you get when you and your clients agree on the platform you're going to execute on?
2: Always, because look, at the end of the day, to do the awesome thing that four people see is probably not the best use of, sort of resources <laughs> and resourcefulness, right. um, and and. I don't know if you saw the Academy Award-winning VR experience, uh, Alejandro González, um Carne y Arenas. It had a brief run here at LACMA about a year ago. Um, and that that's just a transcendent experience. Back to the discussion about the empathy generator. You know, there's, again, whatever one's political belief system are, the the conversation about the southern border is one that has a lot of passionate, Debate, but not many people who actually know what it's like. What's it like to be a migrant crossing the border when Border Patrol gun, uh, agents point guns at you? And what I literally, like hairs on the back of my neck, just stand thinking about that because they created an experience that from taking off your shoes to standing in sand to everything else. And I remember having the visceral experience of having border agents point guns at me in this virtual world. And my body was literally like, like, get down! And I dropped to my knees, because for a moment you're like, oh my God, this is really happening. And that's the dream. That's the thing that is so important about what the opportunities here can do, because we talk about the broader media and entertainment space diversity, um, but there's really a lack of diversity in technology, and certainly in the intersection of technology and media. And these important perspectives from marginalized and disenfranchised people, uh, what better way to do that than to actually emulate to the best of one's ability seeing the world through that person's eyes? That's what's really important to me about that aspect of the space. But again, if five people see it, maybe there's a better way to tell that story.
1: Right, and then you can eventually get to some of these more uh, intricate um, technologies. And, and you and I were briefly talking about another area that ties into VR, which I'm absolutely fascinated by, which is location-based experiences. And we've talked about that before on the show. We interviewed um, Camille Cellucci from The Void. Um, and it's just come a lot, up a lot because it's, it's a opportunity to finally monetize VR um, in a way that hasn't happened before, in parallel is also what's happening in live theater with these experiences where the audience uh, takes part in the show. And I know you're very excited about that. Are you looking at that for some clients?
2: A thousand percent. Um, I think, um, we'll sort of just to take a step back really quickly, I think what is so important about um, LBE, VR, Location-Based Entertainment Virtual Reality, whether it's The Void or, for those listening to the show who live in Los Angeles, the IMAX VR theater across the street from The Grove. It's literally um, how do you create more communal experiences and also more of a sampling of the content. I don't know that we'll ever have a world where every household has a VR headset. For that matter, there aren't going to be VR headsets and, you know, in, in the same way in, uh, in literally a few years. But it is understanding... That there's still something visceral about sitting in a darkened room with 200 strangers watching flickering images on a screen, which has been going on, you know, for, you know, almost a hundred years almost at this point. Maybe not quite a hundred years, but, but a long time. Um, how does that relate in this space and communal experiences for all the concern about everyone buried in screens, the intersection of media and communal experiences, um, the, um, experience music project which was the late Paul Allen's uh, museum in Seattle. Uh, The LA art show this weekend had a number of VR installations. It's how you coalesce and bring all those together. And live theater is just such an exciting experience because it's almost as if the experience is tailored to you as an individual. If you and I both went to a certain show, what your experience would be is be different than what mine would be. Um, There's a, Filmmaker, digital storyteller by the name of Lance Wheeler, who teaches at Columbia University School of Oh um, yeah, Art we've had uh,
1: Lance on the show.
2: I like Lance. Yeah, Lance to me. I, I met Lance at a Writers Guild event, and Lance is like a god in this space. He has created the kinds of experiences that literally bridge this divide. Um, it's almost like you know. We always joke historically about the Blair Witch Project so many people to this day I still meet who think that's a real story and what Lance is doing and kind of marrying the intersection of the two. Like if you were to say to me, who's someone you look up to and want to emulate, it would be him. I'm just blown away by the work that he does.
1: Yeah. He's a really, really um, interesting person. And to your point, um, you know, I I would say the, the, the biggest challenge with someone like Lance or anyone you know like you too is is when a client hears what you're saying they they think it's very creative and very artistic but they don't know how to land it you know and, and i've and been in, way, in meetings look, with him and that's look, what happened yeah, yeah no I go mean, ahead
2: large, but, and that's why i stress i i i at least make a point of coming to this not only as as someone really focused on digital innovation but I have written a movie that made $100 million at the box office. I I won the VR Emmy, but also my team and I were nominated for an Emmy for just the short-form Walking Dead digital spinoff series this year. We developed traditional film and television as well. We do commercials. We do branded entertainment. So I think what is important from a kind of holistic standpoint is, I never want to say be the jack-of-all-trades and the master of none, but have a clear... This is the advice I give my students and give others really in our field is just have a clear understanding of the story you need to tell and the most effective and efficient way to tell that story. And sometimes it will include these really cool new platforms. Sometimes it won't. But the reality of it is I still know people who have been to one of these digital activations where it's resonant and Years later, they're still talking about how cool it was. And for certain clients and brands, that may be beneficial. For others, it may they may not be there yet. That's the secret sauce. That's figuring out what works. And that's what I certainly try and cultivate uh, an expertise and a, and a point of view about, if you will.
1: Oh, I love that, um, because that's logical, and that will make everyone around you comfortable. We have to take another break, but we're going to be back um, with Noam Dromi, again, the president of Legion of Creatives, um, which is a really interesting creative incubator and digital studio, Um, really sitting at the center of the swirl of technology by creating um, content based on the platform it should be on as opposed to just choosing a cool platform, which is, you know, unfortunately a habit that a lot of folks get into jumping onto a trend. We're going to be back in a moment with Noam to talk um, more about some of the things that he's seeing that he's most excited about coming down the pike um, in technology and content and, um, and maybe um, try and get some secrets out of him of some shows he's working on. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, maybe some props from, um, from the movies he's worked on so I can make my kid happy. Anyway, we'll be back in a moment on the Tech Cat Show.
3: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
0: Visit us at story-tech.com. That's
3: story-tech.com. on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network.
0: This is the Tech Cat Show with Lori H. Schwartz. If you want to find out more about our show or to leave a comment or question, send an email to laurie at techcat.tv. That's lori at techcat.tv. Hi, everybody, and we're back with Noam Dromi, a
1: working cross platform content creator, <laughs> Emmy Award winning, and um, working on some really um, well known Hollywood IP. Um. So we've been talking about VR and uh, fiction, chatting, and uh, you know, just uh, gaming and some other things. But what what are some other trends that you're really excited about, or that are keeping you up at night?
2: Sure. Um. Well, look. I think one of the things we all deal with, like you said, it's great to be working from a creative services standpoint, and the point that you had even made earlier about this cool location-based stuff that's all still reliant upon legacy IP. You know, the new stuff that no one's ever heard of, it's hard to get anyone to watch a show or see a movie, and it's near impossible to say, hey, come and have this cool VR experience, and it's not Spider-Man, and it's not the Avengers, and it's not whatever else. So what's keeping me up at night continues to be monetization and access in a way, which is, uh, you know, for all the talk about cord cutters, the truth of the matter is, with all of these new subscriptions, people are starting to spend just as much as they would have on a, historically on a cable bill. But how do we curate new stuff? You know, algorithms seem to really be governing the day. And where, what are the opportunities for new voices and new storytellers? And I think that's important. You know, the whole model behind what we do is that because we have the privilege that we have had in this business... It's really about lifting up the voices of those who just don't have that same access and the same seat at the table. Every great thing that has happened to me has been because of the mentorship of people like Peter Gruber and people like Jerry Bruckheimer um, and other people that I've been able to work with over my career. And mind you, I don't have even a fraction of the fame or recognition that those gentlemen do, but I at least want to be able to do my part in this back. And part of that also, uh, just as a transition, is why I am the co-founder of a blockchain initiative. Um, uh, And without spending too much time, because I know we don't really have time, uh, you know, the idea behind what Bitcoin did for um, currency and digital currency has broader applications in other areas, and especially in content, and especially in the idea that, For anyone who's created content that a major media entity has released, they don't always know, you know, they don't know if the accounting that they're getting about who consumed it and what you're entitled to per your deal is really accurate. So the idea of independent artists, be they in the music space and the film or television space and the publishing space, being able to understand when an individual accesses their content and be able that one to one monetization of it, I think that's really important. My team and I have launched a kind of a, you know research and development undertaking that we hope will succeed called Weird World. Um, and Weird World mission is very simple that you know we want to build. A digital future that is focused on inclusion and representation. We want to create a virtual, uh, a digital turnkey that really allows artists um, to create a marketplace where they can sell their goods and services in a meaningful way and do so for social benefit. It all sounds incredibly altruistic and mealy mouthed, but at the end of the day, it really is the belief that if we can develop software solutions. That put control back in artists' hands, and that can allow independent distribution of content experiences. Um, that's a, that's an exciting undertaking. It's a weird world, uh, and it's something we're going to launch uh, probably Q three Q four of this year. And I'm incredibly excited about that, as well as uh, you know other films and television shows that I'm working on. One in particular um, that stands out. Um, if I'll share very briefly. Uh, the actor and comedian Sasha Baron Cohen, who people know as Borat and Ali G and everything else, also has a master's degree from, I always forget, it's either Cambridge or Oxford. Uh, in his thesis paper, he wrote on the historic relationship between Jews and African Americans during the Civil Rights Movement. Um, right, and I was blown right. away when I read it. I'm sorry?
1: Uh, oh, I said right there. That's actually pretty famous, what happened in, I think it was the late 50s, yeah. Brown versus Education and Exactly. Where, where, so where I can go
2: back further to the end of uh, to the start of the Second World War. A lot of people know about the fact that Einstein, you know, it was beautifully represented in the uh, Nat Geo Imagine Entertainment series. Genius escaped Nazi Germany and came and taught in an Ivy League university. But most Jewish academics who were expelled from their universities during the at the end of the Weimar Republic and during mm-hmm. the rise of Hitler. Uh, didn't have that opportunity, and they just wanted to find jobs. A lot of them did at HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities. Um, and I was just so blown away by some of the stories that uh, that I had found in the research that uh, my writing partner and I uh, started developing a series about uh, some Jewish professors who escaped Nazi Germany's uh, who, uh, Jewish professors who escaped Nazi Germany and arrive in. Um, the American South uh, before the second world war at the height of Jim Crow. And uh, that not only is going to be a regular TV show, but we've also developed a lot of unique interactive applications and experiences for that as well.
1: Wow. I love uh, so many of the things that you're talking about. I especially like, um, you know, the overlay in your thinking of, you know, social justice and, you know, this real, um, we, we give the millennials a lot of credit for it, but this, you know, making sure that whatever you do contributes back to the world that you're in. And so it seems like in your project choices, in your technology choices, and in your thinking, um, that that is really a layer for you guys.
2: It, it is critical, but also at a time where there's such kind of weirdness around what all that means, it's also most importantly authentic. Like, I'm not interested my colleagues and I are not interested in chucking off boxes. What we're interested is in realizing that we had the benefit of growing up with representations in the media that looked like us, that were aspirational for us, but others didn't. But that has to go much deeper than the 4% initiative coming out of Sundance this year. That has to go much deeper than a a commitment to have an inclusion writer, And it has to really permeate the application of that in the mediums that you and I are really focused in, which is digital storytelling and what the next evolution of those experiences are. Because those are still very homogeneous and they're, and they're largely not diverse. And I want to be a part of tipping the scale in the other direction.
1: Well, oh, that, that's so great. Now, um, in order for you to have the role in the world that you have, you do have to keep up with all of this stuff. So personally, are you on Twitter all the time? Are you going to trade shows all the time? Like, how do you manage all of this madness?
2: Sure. Uh, so, yes, I'm absolutely on Twitter. And Twitter, you know, by following um, certain people, you can really curate a news feed for yourself in a way, and that's really important. Um, you know, I also try and find um, – the the types of newsletters that are really about um, convergence media and the way, and um, those can run the uh, gamut from, you know, Shelley Palmer's newsletter, which I'm a, a big fan of, um, to the stuff that's going on uh, with TechCrunch, um, to, you know, any, any measure of them, and I'm happy to uh, provide you with a list and look at that. Also, it's so funny. You know, I think as you get older – you, you think about the fact that a lot of young people, most young people I know are not on Facebook at all, but they do have Instagram as kind of their dominant social platform. And I never really appreciated the value of LinkedIn, not only as a, as a uh, professional kind of tool uh, to connect people, but also now that they've really expanded kind of the content platform and content aggregation opportunities, the people who I'm following in some respects or connected to there it's just because they're just incredibly innovative thinkers. And I'm I'm just a sponge, you know. I like I, I haven't read strictly for pleasure in a long time, but I say that. But, of course, all the professional stuff I read is pleasurable because there's always something new to learn. Um, you know, yeah. a lot of medium blogs, a lot of stuff like that.
1: I know people like us kind of enjoy... Geeking out, so reading the the trades is actually kind of pleasurable, um, and I'm reading um, a book um, that I learned about from like an NPR interview from a from another Israeli. I think it's like 20th century. Um, oh my God, I can't remember his name right now. I'll have to remind you about it. But it's it's all about everything happening, and um, it's very dystopian by accident. So do do you find that um, a lot of people are afraid of what's coming?
2: Yeah, and, and don't understand it. There's a lot of people who, you know, because the monetization isn't clear and the fact that it is going to disrupt traditional businesses, the economics of it are different. Um, people are very scared, but I, I'm trying to, you know, literally – do my version of Don Quixote and just tin and windmills because, you know, no, no cool thing happened because someone wanted to be normal. Someone went <laughs> <made laughs> that. That's what I love about Elon Musk. I mean, he's a nut, but you know, the, the level of creative innovation and ideation, as long as you can keep some humility and maybe keep your ego in check. I mean, that's how great things happen. Um, mm-hmm. And to me, the the kinds of things that I'm reading are also about um, the mistakes of the past and what we can inform. Um, So there's a book I read by Antonio Garcia uh, Martinez called Chaos Monkeys, Obscene Fortune and Random Failure in Silicon Valley, which I thought was just very illustrative of, like, what's going on, what are the opportunities, uh, you know, what are the exciting modalities that we can look at that really represent what the future will be. Um, There's a um, a, uh, sort of a creative visionary who's become a very dear friend by the name of John Booker, uh, B-U-C-H-E-R, and he's written kind of the definitive academic tome on VR storytelling as well. Um, And I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm a groupie for smart, interesting people. Um, next week will mark the 10 year anniversary to the start of a podcast that I, uh, co-hosted that is no longer around, but called, um, uh, conversations with the world's most interesting people. And oh. I literally just sought out people, whether it was, I don't the guy remember
1: was, being invited to that, by the way,
2: <laughs> I know we didn't know each other. So clearly I was missed the mark there, but over a hundred episodes. We interviewed everyone from the vice president of the African nation of Liberia um, to, you know, some of the most innovative people working in, um, you know, uh, for example, on, in how to improve uh, crop yield for um, sustainability in the third world to the guy who was the air traffic controller uh, um, uh, at LAX, when nine eleven happened and how he dealt with the chaos of that, you know, so those were the kinds of things that, um, I, I just was like, I just, nothing gets me more excited than smart, passionate people who know their field backwards and forwards. And, 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 and that I have no knowledge of per se and can speak about it passionately, passionately and eloquently. Um, and I love that, you know, I hope to, I hope to, but at least provide that to some people in terms of the passion that I bring to what I do as well.
1: Well, we're going to um, uh, take another break um, in a moment, but I, um, you know, all the things that you're doing are so I- interesting and the way that you integrate them um, to me is what's really interesting. Um, you know, the, the fact that you're sitting on top of all of this stuff um, and and thinking about it, I love it. Um so uh, we'll be back in a moment for our last uh, our last uh piece of the show and I uh, would love to hear from you about what you guys have coming up um and are there any shows that you're going to be attending are there any um projects you're releasing anything that we can keep uh, on the lookout for for all the the wonderful interesting things that you're doing um and any dolphin sightings and things like that so Oh, we're going to be back in a moment with Noam Dromey, our uh, cross platform content expert um, and Emmy winner, and hear more exciting things about what he's up to on the TechCat show.
3: Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
0: Visit us at story-tech.com. That's story-tech.com.
3: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
0: Hi,
1: everybody. And we are back and we've been talking to Noam Dromi about all the cool things that he's been doing, lots of great projects in a variety of different technology platforms with this really interesting umbrella of being socially conscious about the world that we're in and kind of opening the door for the underserved. Um, and Noam, what are some of the things that you have coming up that you're allowed to talk about?
2: Absolutely. Um, one of the big focuses areas of focus for me is obviously realizing that as amazing as things that are going on in North America and in the U.S. specifically, it's a big world out there. So I'm really focused on trying to identify uh, uh, great uh, digital storytellers and innovators internationally. Uh, And actually, our colleague, Chris Tomes, who's your fellow governor in the Interactive Media Peer Group for the Television Academy, connected me with a a great... um, uh, female director and and, and creative, um, and we are releasing a web series that she launched that we're now developing into a much bigger brand called How to Know if You're Dating a Narcissist. And what was so interesting in talking to her was about the realization that in Australia where she's from, um, they have a much different take on the whole Me Too thing. Basically, their attitude to women who have dealt with Uh, you know, abuse in the workplace, um, sexual harassment, sexual abuse is, Hey ladies, toughen up and deal with it. That's obviously not a very helpful or hopeful sort of perspective. So she created a web series that's sort of a very acerbic and sarcastic and funny way of, um, of exploring that. Um, and she's just this incredible personality So we're going to be launching that uh, on a digital platform near you. Uh, It'll be YouTube and Facebook watch um, in uh, early March and, uh, and then expanding the intellectual property therein. I'm also working with a client uh, on something that I'm particularly excited about, which is a new financial services app for Gen Zers. And, and just to explain what I mean uh, you know, Starting to think about investing early is really important, but Charles Schwab and Fidelity maybe aren't really focused on 22-year-olds or 18-year-olds, for that matter. So I met a young entrepreneur who, interestingly enough, was a Loyola Marymount grad um, who developed an app called Chance uh, that literally gamifies um, uh, you know, small investing says that if you just invest a dollar a week now when you're in high school or, you know, in your first year of college, you'll build up for that. So we built an entire sort of content platform and experience around uh, financial literacy and education for young people, uh, and we'll be launching that uh, this summer, which I'm particularly excited about as well. And then some other kind of bigger things that I'm not really at liberty to discuss yet, but I hope that when I am, you will have me back on your show.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you really do want to talk to anyone about narcissists, I'm a divorcee. And so I have firsthand experience.
2: <laughs> my of my you um, is that when the show comes out and you see it, uh, and hopefully you'll, you'll get a huge kick out of it, is that you just make sure to let your audience and others know, uh, you know, with any new piece of content, it's always about just making sure we, we generate a lot of awareness and enthusiasm about it.
1: Of course, of course. Um, well, one thing I'd like to hear from you, just because I am in the event business, is are there trade shows that you make sure that you absolutely go to to feed, feed the machine, since you really do have to be up on all the latest uh, you know, tech and uh, content models?
2: So I'm going to give you the, the honest, but then somewhat aspirational um, answer, which is I, I want to go to a lot more. Um, the truth of the matter is time and circumstance sort of uh, make it a little bit difficult every now and then. So I'm going to be going to um, Digital entertainment world in Marina del Rey next week. Um, I always find that their fireside chats and keynotes give me a great perspective on the world uh, of of digital content. Uh, I've spoken there many times. I've moderated a number of panels there many times. Um, I think that those are particularly exciting. And also, Um, just because I am, you know, am a big believer in the importance of mobile in that space. I will also, at the end of this month, be attending um, the Mobile World Congress, which is in Barcelona.
1: Yeah, I've actually done uh, tours there in the past, and that is really a great show for understanding what's happening globally, um, because we're such a an apple world in america but the rest of the world is so android so it's really really interesting to go there to get to get perspective and I'll, and i'll be out um due as well so we can definitely meet up there but um just from again from a strategist perspective why do you think it's so important to go to these shows
2: well i mean look the the truth of the matter is as much as i had shared with you i'm intellectually curious and passionate, and we have people in our organization who are focused on that. You're never fully going to grok what's happening and what matters until you can actually interact products and people and understand kind of the promise of why these things in theory, these companies, these services, these ideas can really become the next great, big, cool, disruptive thing. Um, Trade shows are just critical Because I think they give you that perspective and that vantage point. I've met great friends when I've gone to relevant industry trade shows. But most importantly, you're never going to have an opportunity in a kind of dedicated burst of time to really hear the perspectives of the best and brightest in your field or a field that, you know, is an area of focus in in your professional life and, and really understand what it is. I went... Um, just to show you the randomness of a trade show, I went to recently. I went to a uh, cannabis and technology conference um, because obviously there are certain states in the U.S. where recreational cannabis is now legal, and I just wanted to understand what the you know uh, what the intersection of that and technology and kind of entrepreneurship and innovation would be as well not to mention content you know which is obviously a critical area for me what are the uh svod ott plays for enthusiasts in that space too and the only way you're really going to meet the best and the brightest at one time in one space is if you go to a trade shop
1: that's good feedback too um and helpful to some of us who make a living at them (laughs) (laughs) Um, and just last thing, like what, what is keeping you up at night? Is there any, you know, solution out there or tech or anything that worries you a little bit, you know, that you're, you are nervous about because of maybe it could go wrong? Uh,
2: That's a great question. And sort of a tough one to answer. You know, as I said, when we spoke in your earlier segment, more broadly, just understanding, um, the, the business that maybe existed when you and I first started, the, the opportunity of real financial success, if you followed a certain path, that's largely not the case anymore. So, you know, the 2007 Writers Guild strike in some respects, because I'm also a member of the WGA, um, was really about fighting the cause of creatives ensuring that they actually had a role and a ability to earn a living in this space. And that continues to concern me. That I think it's great that there's a democratization of the process, that there's accessibility in a way that there had never been before. But I'm also concerned that as we get more fragmented, a lot of the smaller businesses don't exist anymore. Uh, and they're now about uh, you know, the vertical integration of these smaller digital plays. Just want to make sure that I'm, you know, those on the sidelines still get an opportunity to play in the game.
1: Oh, I, I like that. That's um, that's a good way to to think about it because I, I have to talk to so many people who have um, such fear about what's coming and are worried that they won't be able to uh, keep up. Um, so it's great that you um, you have that understanding of that, but are still positive about it. Um, So we have been talking to the fabulous Noam Dromi, and Noam is, again, president of Legion of Creatives, um, which is a really cool digital studio doing really innovative content across multiple platforms and serving the underserved. Um, and also just a great thought leader himself, a writer, producer, and a strategist, um, who specializes in cross-platform and a, and a professor, which I think is really important because it really does, to your point, keep us exposed to younger minds and teaching, I think is probably the greatest thing you can do with your life anyway, in so many ways.
2: Absolutely agree. I wish that they gave teachers more money because of the value of what they all do. Not even about us, just in general. Um, but, but, uh. I, it's such a great joy because I learn as much from them as hopefully they learn from me.
1: All right. Well, we'll be back next week hopefully with someone just as interesting. And check out legionofcreatives.com. And Noam, where where are you Twittering or blogging? Where, where else can people find you?
2: Sure. Um, uh, at Noam Dromi. So that's at N-O-A-M-D-R-O-M-I. Um, and that'll link to, you know, things that I'm interested in and, you know, articles and whatnot. Uh, I've got to get back into the blogging. I've, I've, I've fallen a bit back on that, but uh, I will be sure to let you know when I do. I
1: think it's, it's probably because you're a little busy. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this is Lori Schwartz. Thank you so much, Gnome, and we'll be back next week on a new Tech Cat show,
0: Speaking Tech with the Best.